You're listening to the dollop. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast <laughs> each week. Oh, wait. I, I don't know. Cat photographer? Oh, God. Maker of rice? Oh, God. Dave. Dave. Donut eater Dave Anthony uh, reads a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. A couple things. Yeah, go ahead. So you make rice and eat donuts, do you? Go for Dave. All right. And also, uh, it's not bi-weekly right now. So, I don't know what we... How we We've established that. that that word means whatever I want it to mean. <laughs> right. Okay. So, by the Anthony rule... Once a week. Bi-weekly now means <laughs> one a week. Sure. Because you said so. God, do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bump. People say this is funny? Not Gary Gara. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Hey everybody! Hey, we are uh, we're part of the ATC Comedy Network, uh, which is a group of great podcasts. Like uh, Bill Burr has one, and there's a bunch of other assholes. June twenty seventh, nineteen thirty. You don't like it when I want it. What's your deal? It's not how we do it. Well, okay, let's start again. No, it's different. let's start no. again. You ruined. I it. don't want you in this mood when we're doing it. You ruined it. No, come on, please. Ross Perot Come was on. born... Wait, wait, what is the year? 1930. Okay. Ross Perot was born in Texarkana, Texas. Wow, okay. Which is right on You're the border... You're goddamn right I was! <laughs> You're right on... That's exactly where I was born! <laughs> oh, so you know this guy. I, I was born in, I was born right there! Which is uh, right on the border of Arkansas uh, in Texas there. His father... Gabriel Perot was a commodity broker specializing in cotton co- cotton contracts. Okay, so he worked in the alliteration business. He, they were not rich My or dad poor. My with C's. They were not rich or poor, basically middle class. But Ross was always told he could be anything he wanted. Okay. The classic American. Sure. You'll be whatever you want, son. This Remember when we used to tell that to our kids? Yeah. <laughs> now we just say, you're going to die in a hellfire. Yeah. Now we're just like, you can eat beetles. <laughs> just a heads up in a pinch, eat a beetle. Um, at the 1936 State Fair, six-year-old Ross was dazzled by all the cars and remembers one day of dreaming of owning one. Dreaming of owning a car. Yeah. Okay. So this is where his life is. Sure. After the U.S. entered World War II, Ross joined the Boy Scouts of America in 1942. In just 16 months, he made Eagle Scout. What? Is that, how does that work? That's a dude who's overdoing it. That's a lot. Like, how about having it takes a life? years to be an Eagle Scout. No, why would you? That means he's just just like a badge-obsessed lunatic. Right, right. Because you, you learned that that either results in being Ross Perot or creating a uh, radiation Shit. Either with those, the only two ways yeah. it goes. Uh, so that's the. If you don't know about uh, the scouts, that's the highest rank. Uh, Ross had an uncle, Henry Ray, who was uh, very badly wanted to be a fighter pilot. Okay. Okay. Uh, so he built his own plane out of wood. Well, 
De- 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 sorry, decorated it in U.S. insignia and sorry. put a old World War One engine in it. Hey, bud. Huh? Can I jump in? What's happening? He's so uh, Uncle Hank built uh-huh. a plane go. out of wood. He, in go World ahead. World War One. Yeah. Uh, he, no, it was it was nineteen. It was World War Two. So oh, he World did War Two. Put a World War One engine in it. You know, because it's a right. W- that's wood. what I mean. He was building a. It's a wood plane. Yeah, it's a wood plane. Yeah, he made a wood plane. Can I keep go ahead. going? Wood planes. How do uh, they do? I hear they're not. Uh, it's not. It's not something they like to use as wood. Right. Okay. Although uh, uh, Spirit Air will use a lot of wood planes. Uh, that's right. Spirit does use those. <laughs> <laughs> I got a wood plane and I'm delayed again. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> so he built a wooden plane. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, so this uh, made a big impression on young Ross, thinking that he could do whatever he wanted if he put his mind to it. So he wasn't there for the attempted takeoff. I don't I think so. I'm <laughs> No, there's no way that you walk away from that like anything's possible. Uh, when he was uh, when he was uh, had to play a tennis match against a very good player, he practiced in secret until he was good enough to win. Okay, so who? Okay, so he's tenacious. He's kind of also weird. Sure. Like sure. who, who practices in secret? He's tiny too. Yeah, isn't he's he? also a very small man. He's uh, made of wood, right? Um, yeah, right. As a teenager, Ross found out that he was a very good salesman. He sold garden seeds, saddles, and newspaper subscriptions. Okay. And in 1949, Ross entered the U.S. Naval Academy in Maryland and thrived. Though he was only five foot six inches, okay, he grew in stature and had a trademark ramrod straight posture. So he. So he, he had that little weird posture that he has where he stands up super straight. Sure, sure. To make up for his tiny, tiny, tininess. Right. Uh, he taught the class that year and became... I'm five, six, straight up. Straight up. He taught the class last year, that year and became vice president. And he was uh, chairman of the honor committee in his senior year. So he's a fucking achiever. Sure. Right? When a classmate from a well-to-do family committed a violation, many wanted to sweep it under the rug. So Ross resigned from the committee. The admiral was so impressed with his... Uh, principles that he pushed the uh, he, that he punished the offender and convinced Ro- uh, the righteous Ross to return as chairman. Okay, right, Fun, smart play, snitch. Sure, well. Ross Perot married Margot Birmingham in 1956. Margot Perot. Yeah, I guess it would be Margot Perot. It's not that great. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough one. The next year, he left the Navy and became a salesman for IBM. Okay. He was incredibly successful. One year, he hit his annual sales quota by January 19th. Wait. When did the... I'm assuming quotas start January 20th? Well, he was doing so well that IBM was capping his commissions. So... Wow. So, at some point, he he hit it 19 days. And they were... I mean, okay. So... Uh, And that year, he showed up at his office in swim trunks and a towel, then went for a swim to show his unhappiness. That'll, that'll show So he's like, well, what do I have to fucking do? Right. If you're going to cap me in 19 days, how about I take a swim, bitch? So he's just showing up swimming in the IBM pools? I guess so. Okay. Well, he went, to the, he went to the YMCA. Oh, okay. Ross then tried to pitch his ideas for innovation at IBM to his supervisors, and he was completely ignored and dismissed. So he left IBM in 1962 to found Electronic Data Systems, EDS, in Dallas with just $1,000. He went to large corporations offering his data processing services. He was refused 77 times before he was given his first contract. Oh my God. 
what? Okay. The company struggled for four years until the government got into the health insurance business in 1965, and EDS began landing lucrative contracts from the government uh, computerizing Medicare records. Okay. So he's, he's, now it's happening. The company went public in 1968, and the stock price rose from $16 to $160 within days. Soon it was worth $41.5 billion. <laughs> That's quite a jump. It started with a thousand dollars. Is that the right number? That's that's ins- a lot of I can't, money. That, that's got to be a wrong number. It's okay. got to be four point one five, uh, uh, or maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he's bi- he's worth billions now. Wow. Okay. In a nineteen sixty eight cover story, Fortune magazine called Perot the fastest, richest Texan ever. Okay. Which is saying something. Sure. Jerry Jones is on record on notice. That's what I was going to say, but you said it first. Thanks. Jerry Jones is on record. I mean, notice. <laughs> Thank you. He had a certain type of employee he looked for. Those who liked to win first and then those who hated to lose. Okay. Uh-huh. Right. So yeah. winners. Winners or winners people who just didn't cost. want to lose, didn't want to lose. Sure. Those are winners. Winners. Right. He hired tons of war veterans and had uh, a written dress code. Men had to wear dark suits, white shirts, and subdued ties. Facial hair was forbidden. Oh, my God. Women could not wear pants, (laughs) except when there's very cold weather. Okay, pants. You can wear pants. Pants today. It's it's, it's, It's freezing outside. 15 degrees out. Go ahead and cover up your pajamas. Everyone stand up straighter. There was also a moral code. Oh, really? They avoided hiring anyone who was divorced. And if you had an extramarital affair, you could be fired from the company. Okay. Wow. This is starting to get religious. <laughs> I don't even think it's religion. It's, it sounds uh, commandment During the Vietnam War, Ross was critical of the treatment of POWs. Okay. He launched a media campaign to call attention to it, and he appeared on the Today Show and took out ads in hundreds of newspapers. Okay, just raising awareness. Yeah, like okay. they're being—they're not being treated well over there. Okay, but he really made a splash in the political limelight when, in December 1969, he flew to Indochina with 30 tons of medicine and food for U.S. POWs in Vietnam. I'm gonna make it rain. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> He made sure he was also accompanied by a plane load of reporters. He, <laughs> uh-huh, he spent uh-huh. $1.5 million on the effort. Oh, my God. Although the flights were blocked when they got to Vietnam. So. They didn't really. It was for nothing. Okay. Interesting. Well, who wants medicine? <laughs> got a lot here. Got a lot of it. Help yourself. Get some penicillin. Get your needles. Um, but the effort brought uh, the plight of the POWs to the world's attention. And they were soon being treated better. Okay. So it actually worked. Right. Uh, now Ross had found a cause he could champion. With his undying support of Richard Nixon, he became known as a right-wing super patriot. Okay. But in 1970, Ross was again on the front pages, this time for something not so great. He became known as, quote, the biggest individual loser ever on the New York Stock Market Exchange. When his company's shares dropped four hundred and fifty million in value in a single day. Oh my god. That's not a good day. It's a tough day. That's a bad day. That'll make your posture slump. But he said he didn't care about money and he would care more if one of his children broke their finger. What well okay. And then they all broke their fingers. Oh my god. This is worse. 
But the stock uh, eventually recovered, and the fable of Ross Perot grew. Okay. Ross also said that in 1970, five armed men snuck onto his compound to kill him, but um, were chased away by a guard dog. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. What? Is he being honest? I don't know. How do you know? It just sounds a little... Why would you question a man sounds who like a fib. was almost killed? Mm-hmm. One dog gets five men away. I think he, he might be telling... Maybe it's a big dog. It sounds like he's being a little of a parochial. Maybe, maybe it's a dog that can cover a lot of ground. Uh, f- a lot of five guys. Maybe it's a big... A lot of teeth. Uh, I don't know. He told the press that the FBI told him that year that the North Vietnamese and the Black Panthers had targeted him and his family for assassination. Uh, how... Okay, so, alright, so we're laughing at this man. Well, they were working together, the North Vietnamese and Black Panthers, to kill Texans. Sure. No, they, I do know there was a lot of crossover between those two factions. Uh, the FBI, unfortunately, had no record of any such plot. Okay, well, interesting. Who are you gonna believe? The guy whose dog <laughs> killed five men, or the FBI? <laughs> For a while, he started donating heavy to, heavily to politicians. In 1974, he gave more money than any single person in the country. That's, that's a terrible trend to be at the helm of. $90,000. Well, I, I'm going <laughs> to throw this microphone through the wall. Oh, my God. Think of how... Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Boy, country- to just to go back to the time when we were bitching about 90 grand. Yeah. Ah. Uh, but he soon stopped doing that. And it's like ninety grand for balloons now. <laughs> yes, for balloons. But he soon stopped when he realized there wasn't much of a payoff. Just before the nineteen seventy nine Iranian Revolution, the government of Iran imprisoned two EDS employees. Okay. William Gaylord and Paul Chaperon for bribery. They had done nothing wrong. Iran just took them as hostages, hoping it would convince EDS to stay in Iran as things fell apart. Okay. Iran had wanted EDS to run their computer system. So they basically... Right. Hostages that... I mean, they wanted to... They could have increased their pay. Right. That is a different way to go. Right. But instead, they were like, well, keep you here... No, I have to go back to America. You're going to work on computers. In America. Forever absolutely. here? Forever here? No. Forever no, we here? Have to, no, we have to go. We, I mean, it's not up to us. They want us to go back. So we got to skedaddle. So good to meet you guys. Get out of the way of the door. So good to meet. Oh, if you could just get out of the way of the door. <laughs> just be. You live here. Ah. Um, you live here. Yep, I think I do. Yep. Okay. Would you like to work on the computer? Yeah. Yep. Let's get to... Uh... Good working with you. Okay. So, Ross sent a negotiating team to Tehran to try to get the release of the hostages. Right. It failed. Okay. But Ross was preparing for that the whole time. While the teams were in Iran, he contacted... Arthur Bull Simmons. Simmons was a retired colonel who in 1970 had led a raid on a Vietnamese POW camp only to find that the prisoners had been evacuated a few days earlier. Still, that's, you know, that's like... Not not real? No, well, you can't say. Who knows? Chicken or the egg? Chicken or the egg? (laughs) Chicken or the egg? 
Uh, Simmons agreed to put together a team for the rescue, but said he wanted no compensation for his services. I'll do this as long as you don't pay me money. For love of the game. Yeah. One condition. I can't make anything. Nothing. Simmons and Ross decided on an attack. I'm paying you guys. Understood? Okay. <laughs> Suckers. No, that's... <laughs> Light the cigar. Simmons and Ross decided on an, uh, on an attack on the prison where the Americans were being held. Ross went to Iran and posed as a jur journalist to get in. Okay. But then for some reason, when he got there, he just decided to blow his cover and went straight to the Iranian government to give them one last chance to fix the situation. Uh, He's very, making demands. He's yeah, making de I can't he, imagine being around somebody with such uh, an impulsive nature. He went and he made... He went to the Iranian government and made demands. They were holding the hostages. Right. Right. No, it is backwards. Usually the demand guys are the guys who have the guy. Right. Yes, yep. it does right? normally go that way. Yep. But again, I mean, this could be one of those situations yeah. where it's just... Reverse hostage. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are now my hostages. Huh? What? This what? is our country. How did we... I... What are you... Huh? That's right. Now you give me my hostages back, then you guys won't be hostages any longer. What's happening? Stand up straight. You look ridiculous. I have a... Spina bifida. Yeah, because you're slumping, mister. Anyway, the Iranian government refused. Okay, so they had played this game before. Yeah, it turns out they thought he was an idiot. Right. I'm from Texas. Right. <laughs> While this was happening, Simmons... Uh, Let me tell you a little story about an armadillo burying himself into a log. <laughs> I think you'll find it pretty appropriate to the situation we find before us right now, gentlemen. <laughs> I should have written some of his quotes down. There's so many like that. <laughs> so while... That was his deal, right? He would yeah, say... It's crazy. You give toilet paper to a homeless man, he ain't gonna make a house out of it. That's exactly what he would do. <laughs> right? Yeah. While this was happening, Simmons uh, was putting together a team of seven men and was smuggling them into Iran. Okay. But so before... He, he, he was working angles. Yeah. Right. But before they did this... They trained at Perot's weekend house. He had a weekend house? Uh-huh. Uh uh, on the shore of Lake Grapevine near Dallas. Okay. They built a, a mock-up of the Tehran prison, which oh they God. spent weeks training storming. What? They were... They, he built okay, a set? Okay, so Ross Perot has a weekend house. So lots come on right that now. house... Sure. They built a... A replica of a, of, a, of a Tehran prison. Sure. And then eight guys would attack the prison every day. Every day. So this was... So. Went on for a couple months. Huh. Okay. So they were... Yeah. How did they know what the prison looked like, you ask? Sure. Ross Perot had cased it. So we were going off of Perot Prince? <laughs> the mind of the man. Ross Perot's mind. They, they off. That wall was way shorter. That window was over there. Are you guys even listening? <laughs> but when the group got to Iran, the months of planning quickly fell apart. Oh, okay. The EDS employees had been moved to another prison. Oh, God. All right, let's just... Okay, we're going to have to go and rebuild. We're going to build another one. From my mind! <laughs> I took four more face pictures. <laughs> Now they were in one of Tehran's largest and most fortified prisons. 
Oh, boy. So Ross and Simmons improvised. Uh... Simmons knew Iran's revolution was peaking, so the, the revolution's already happened. And, sure. Right. He used the anger in the street. They had an Iranian EDS employee named Rashid start a riot, and he then led the mob straight to the prison, which was a symbol of the Shah, right? The prison so is... So at this point, things mm-hmm. were so bad in the streets of Iran... That you could almost catch wind like a sail and just be like, just get the mob over this way for my thing if they have a 2.30 open. I found an article, and I, I couldn't verify it was real. Okay. But Rashid said that he just, there were so many people just milling around the streets, he just went and go, I'm going to the prison, let's get to the prison! Uh, people, he's going to the prison, let's get to the prison! And people started following him. Oh, man. <laughs> That's got to be quite a thing. Those are the days. Oh, man. That's just... Can you imagine? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going in the White House. We're going to the White House. Let's go! Uh, so when the mob got to the prison, Rashid stoked the mob's anger until they attacked the prison. <laughs> so there's a bunch of political prisoners in the prison from the Shah. Sure. And so they... Blah, 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 blah. So they attacked the prison. They set all the prisoners free. Okay. 70,000 inmates oh. pour out into the street. My God. 70... Thousand. Wow. Including That's... the two EDS employees. Well, so there you go. That's why when Perot comes over and wants to make a deal, you make it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone then met back up uh, at Simmons' room at the Tehran Hyatt Regency. So he had a room that fit 70,000. <laughs> no, just, just the EDS oh, okay. guys and the, and the other guys. Okay. Then Bull Simmons got everyone out of the country. Some got on two planes, like Ross, while others were put in Range Rovers, and they used Rashid as a guide and fled into Turkey. There they got on planes and flew back to the U.S., like the ending of a kick-ass 80s movie starring Sylvester Stallone. Okay. We have sound effects for this one. Uh, Shortly after the Iran hostage crisis erupted, Bull Simmons died three months later of a heart attack. Okay. So one of our heroes is... Uh, gone. We lost one. It's tough to hear. I mean, it's a cool story until you think about the fact that he released a bunch of murders and rapists onto the street to get a couple guys hey, out of prison. come on. You need to get two people. <laughs> come on. You're, don't you understand? <laughs> 70,000. Uh, 70,000. Quite an influx of... Uh... It's a big group of folks. Yeah. And you thought that it was easy to get a street mob before 70,000 convicts. Now it's fucking batshit crazy. Ross then got best-selling author Ken Follet to write a book about the rescue. Okay. It was called On Wings of Eagles and became a bestseller. He's super obsessed with eagles. Uh, Ross Perot. Yeah. One of his sayings was, uh, "Eagles, eagles don't flock. Fair. They don't. They don't. Nor and he would give he would give his employees an eagle for doing a good, like a little silver eagle for doing a good job. Hey, uh, got you an eagle. Really touching uh, how you handled that meeting, or got you an eagle. Hey, you called you to my office just because uh, well, I don't want to beat around the bush. I get emotional. Here's an eagle. <laughs> Go ahead, touch it. Touch it. Touch it, petty. Does not flock. See? Well, get out of here. <laughs> in 1986, the book was made into a TV movie in which Perot what? was portrayed by Richard Crenna. Krenna, of course, played Trotman in the Rambo movies. 
Which guy is that? The, He's the is like uh, is Colonel or whatever. Right, the guy who's just like, God damn it, Rambo! I told you not to do this. Well, Rambo, I don't know. Something tells me Rambo going rogue isn't good. As well as being a famous businessman, Ross was now an early day reality television star. Because okay. he's just on TV so much. Because he's just just because he's Perot. Yeah. Because he's this short little like who who attacked I mean, he Iran? Like Pee Wee Herman doll. You know, if of. you during the Iran hostage crisis, which has just happened, if you have a guy who on his own went into Iran and got a couple guys out, you're a fucking god. Right. Okay. <laughs> Being a big rich guy in Texas, people uh, like the governor wanted Ross's input on things. He was asked to help a uh, chair committee on public education, though a local writer said he had a mind, quote, half an inch wide. Hmm. Um, no, it's not big, huh? <laughs> no, that's small. <laughs> okay. Uh, though you really couldn't peg Ross on what he was. I'm a grower, not a shower. I'm a maker, not a taker. Uh, you couldn't peg him on what he was politically, and he gave a lot to charity. Okay. People write him letters or come ask him for cash. So people would just constantly write him letters saying, "Hey man, any money for this?" And people would actually here's an eagle. People would actually come to him and be like, "Hey, can I get some money? Here's an eagle. I need a new car." And he'd just buy it. He would do it. Sometimes, a lot of times, he'd give people money. Yeah. Okay. In 1969, a group of West Coast hippies came to ask if he would fund the revolution. <laughs> Did they have a follow up? Do they have more to the pitch? <laughs> what does that mean? Ross shot back with, how long will it take and how much will it cost? What? Because that's what he asked everybody who had a pitch. Well, look, I'm going to stick to my original thought. How long will it take and how much does it cost? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't fund the revolution. No, okay. Well, it just cost too much. But he's willing to listen. Pretty cool. He didn't have an ideology, and he saw life, life as a puzzle. <laughs> when he was asked to help with the war on drugs, he pushed for longer, harsher sentences. Okay. And when he was taken for a ride-along in drug-riddled South Dallas neighborhoods... Well, why can I not picture him in a lot of these situations? I, I just pictured him so small. Look at all these drugs! Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly! Can I have another phone book for the back seat? Can I get a... Maybe like a... Telephone book. Come on. I'm slumping back I'm here. I'm tiny. Booster seat. I'm slight. Uh, right. So they take him on a ride along. Adorable. Through one of the worst neighborhoods in Texas. Sure. Can't so he immediately he came up with a solution. Oh, good. Here we go. No more police. He said the city should cordon off sections and send in hundreds of cops for a house-to-house Person-to-person confiscation raids for drugs and weapons. Oh, my God. Good Lord. I, I just... <laughs> Hold on, I got an idea. Uh, that is... Well, how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? That, that really is, though, that, like, when people float stuff like that out there, I mean, when constitutionalists are just like, yeah, just take everyone's drugs out of their homes in this area. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Well, they didn't do that. Right. But they thought that was a right. super illegal right. idea. but still, somebody who, yeah. I'm really rich, it's fine. Yeah. 
but he was about to really strike it rich. In 18, 1984, General Motors bought a controlling interest in EDS for $2.4 billion. Okay. The deal made Perot the largest individual shareholder of GM and gave him a position on the board as chairman of EDS. But the honeymoon didn't last long. Ross liked doing things his way. And he soon started publicly attacking GM management for being sluggish and bureaucratic. Okay. In, eight, in 1985, Pro stopped GM's attempt to buy Pixar. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good lord. This guy was on a roll. It's weird, too, because he looks like he's from a Pixar movie. He does. Uh, Pixar had recently been spun off of Lucasfilms with the help uh, uh, from Steve Jobs. If the deal had gone through, oh boy. Pixar's technology would have been used to model cars instead of making movies. Whoa. And one of their movies is Cars. What? That's uh, crazy. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen what they came up with car-wise. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Uh, this car has an old man in it, and it's powered by balloons. Uh-huh. After Steve Jobs lost his mind, uh, sorry, after Steve Jobs lost his mid-80s power struggle. <laughs> wow. After Steve Jobs lost his mid-80s power struggle at Apple and left to found Next in 1985, his angel investor was Ross Perot. Perot invested over $20 million. Ross believed in Steve Jobs and did not want to miss out, as he had with his chance to invest in Bill Gates, Microsoft. Good Lord, he was sniffing around everything. Yeah. He briefly considered a takeover attempt of GM, but then accepted a buyout instead for $750 million. Uh, I mean, he'll live. But he wasn't done. In 1988, he founded Pro Systems Corporation Incorporated in Texas. It would do exactly what EDS did. He just had to wait a year or so before he could legally go after the same clients, which he did, which resulted in endless lawsuits between the two companies. <laughs> I'm going to start the same company. So I'm going to do it right over here. Yeah. Get all your people. He uh, he hired like tons of the. He just went and hired all his old employees. Like he just took <laughs> kind of a fun tour. <laughs> During this time, he never forgot about the POWs in Vietnam. Okay. Ross was convinced hundreds of POWs have been left behind in Southeast Asia, and he continued to fight for the cause. Now, is this based on? Do you remember this his sort of hysteria? Like there were all these people that believed that there were all these POWs. No. That, I mean, there was a, there was a, I believe there was a Rambo based on that, wasn't there? But I, look, but I the, haven't I, gotten far into the Rambo. But there was this big idea in America <laughs> that all of these POWs had been left behind, right? Okay. And they would always be like, "I was about, I, I was supposed to meet a guy at a river, but before he got there, something happened. He didn't make it. Like there was always a guy who went somewhere." Wait a minute, you mean in this war zone, one of the guys wasn't there at the arrival time? It's not a war zone anymore. It's in the 80s now. You mean, did you tell me that one of your buddies... But there was always a guy who went to meet a guy yeah. who had a POW, and then it didn't work out because something happened. Right, sure. But it was always that. Um, Ross accused the government of covering up POW MIA investigations to avoid revealing a drug smuggling operation that used to finance a secret war in Laos. Okay, so it, so they... So he's saying 
that they are funding a side war in Laos with... Yeah, Laos, which... And they're using a drug smuggling operation. Sure. And so, because of that, they're hiding that there are POWs. What's his deal? <laughs> he's, he's, well, he's a thinker. He seems to be a thinker, but then it seems like... You know, I mean, for every investment he gets uh, with Steve Jobs, there's a... Uh, Batshit crazy thing yeah, happening? Yeah. There's a... We built... Uh, yep. We built a replica prison and they've been moved moment. He went as far as to engage in unauthorized back-channel discussions with the Vietnamese government. I mean, this, it really does. <laughs> it sounds so much like how we operate today with stuff, where it's just, we're like, right is right. All right, I'll do it my way. I'll negotiate with these people. I got this. Um... The negotiations ended his relationship with the Reagan and George H.W. Bush administrations. A lot of people believed there was a Texan rivalry between Bush and Perot. Sure. In 1990, Ross reached an agreement with Vietnam's foreign ministry to become its business agent in the event that diplomatic relations were normalized with the United States. He... Made a deal. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. With the country. Yep. With a country that... So he, he basically was like, if if we're ever back to normal, I'm your guy. Yeah, I'm your guy. I'll handle your business. Which sounds like it's in a little bit of poor taste. <clears throat> with the POW thing? Yeah. It's a weird transition. Sure. How does he... You can totally separate him. Huh. He knows, that, he knows how to compartmentalize. I'm having trouble. I, uh... <laughs> Ross also launched a private investigation and attacks on U.S. Department of Defense official Richard Armitage. Boy, I really did not remember him as this crazy. <laughs> I mean, I was, like, I, I, granted, was a kid, so I don't remember much of him. No, he's, but yeah. I... Yeah. <laughs> I right. just always thought he was, like, the cutie pie who just screamed. Well, because he was super fun to watch. Yeah. He was super fun to watch. Well, thank God we don't elect people like that. Around the same time in Florida, a retired financial planner named Jack Gargen funded a series of newspaper uh, articles uh, denouncing Congress for voting for pay raises for themselves when average wages nationwide were not increasing. The ad centered on the phrase, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, which, of course, is from a movie. It's from uh, 1976. Uh, what is it, uh, Newsroom? Network. Network, that's it. Hey. Um, later uh, came up with the phrase, throw the hypocritical rascals out, throw, which Ross Perot supported. Th- throw the hypocritical uh, rascals out, throw. 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 T-H-R-O. Throw. Throw. Right. I thought you were saying that quote was from Thoreau. Oh, Thoreau. No, that was not from Thoreau. So I thought you were saying, throw them out, Thoreau. People are now you can en- see my confusion. Yep. People were now encouraging him to run for president. Uh-oh. People would actually yell at him on the street, run, Ross, run. Oh my God, I will! Hey, I'm going, I'm going. Where am I running he's to? He's being attacked all the time. Oh, fuck me. It took me two and a half years before I realized people wanted me to run for president. Till then, I thought I was being attacked. 
on February 20th, uh-huh. 1992, uh-huh. Ross was on Larry King Live, and he announced his intention to run for President of the United States of America as an independent against George Bush and Bill Clinton. Okay. Pro urged his supporters to get his name on the ballot in all 50 states. Bush was president, but his approval had sunk below 40%, and the economy was in the shitter. At the time of Perot's announcement, 73% of Americans thought Bush wasn't doing enough to improve the economy. Okay. At this point, the Dems and Republicans had picked their candidates, but it was several months before they held their conventions. So Perot's candidacy candidacy just filled a giant vacuum in election news, Uh and he got tons of media attention. Meanwhile, the supporters started petition drives to get him on the ballot in all 50 states. This created a huge momentum, which was reinforced when Pro brought on two very savvy campaign managers, Democrat Hamilton Jordan and Republican Ed Rollins. Okay. So he's like, I'm not, I don't care about parties. Only party I want is an election party after I become the next president of the United States. Also running. Stand up straight. That tie's uh, pretty loud. Also still running were white nationalist and Republican Pat Buchanan and big-time lefty populist Democrat Jerry Brown, mm-hmm. though their campaigns were now totally floundering. So, Pro became the beneficiary of populist resentments toward the establishment politicians. Okay. Public trust in government in 1992 was at its lowest levels since Pew started measuring it in 1958, even lower than during Watergate. Only 22% of Americans said they trusted the government to do what was right most of the time. I mean, we're close to that now, right? Huh? Yeah. This is coming out after Iran-Contragate and the savings and loan scandal and, like, a bunch of bad shit had gone right. down. Bro uh, then picked his running mate, retired Vice Admiral James Stockdale, a highly decorated former Vietnam POW who had zero political experience. Okay. And, oh, that's right. Remember that guy? That's right. One of the worst debates of all time. He was crazy. Fucking unbelievably. Right? Bad. Yeah. He was just like... They- oh, he was horrendous. It was unbelievable to watch. <laughs> right. It was unbelievable to watch. Ugh. It was like they put hair on a ham. Oh, and, he was ju- and he just was bombing. Oh. So, Bush <laughs> was the favorite, and everyone expected him to win, but his approval rating was falling dramatically because he had gone back on a promise of no new taxes, and ads were hitting him hard about that. Yeah, I mean, you can't say, read my lips and then lie. Right. Read my lips, no new taxes, yeah. and then... And then- Raise tax. Sure. Clinton was seen as slimy and untrustworthy as uh, and sort of a sort of model, whatever she was. Jennifer Flowers came out during the campaign and said she had had a 12 year affair with him. He had also dodged the draft. Uh, Democrats felt he was unelectable because of these things, but uh, the rest of the pickings were slim. Don't you worry about me. <laughs> Rospero went on and on about government. He railed against PACs and foreign lobbyists. He funded his own campaign, which he constantly crowed about, proving he was not beholden to special interests. Mm-hmm. He campaigned in 16 states and spent an estimated $12.3 million of his own money. Crazy. I mean, if you have enough money. Yeah. Look under your chairs, you all get an eagle! <coughs> oh, they're supposed to be dead! Right, dead? Stop! <laughs> Step to dead! Ross ran on a platform of reducing national debt, which he said was destroying the country. This was a bit weird, since he made most of his money off the government. Sure. (laughs) 
1980, EDS won a contract paying over $390 million per year for administering health care, and that was just in Texas. It had similar contracts in other states. The Bailey Turner Profit Board started government work, but whatever. Okay. He was, he was uh, at some point called the welfare billionaire. The welfare billionaire. Yeah. Okay. Ross promised to balance the federal budget within five years through tax increases with harsh cuts. But these were, ideas are bad politics. So he didn't release them. And then his plan to introduce a 50 cents gas tax was leaked per oh. gallon. Oh, God. Per gallon. <laughs> You know, we will we will take it nine different ways. If you raise our gas prices, we are so, like food prices have gone up. You don't yeah. hear anything about that, and that's because of gas prices for the most part. But still, it's like we the sec what anything could be happening. Yeah, we could have say hypothetically North Korea could be aiming nukes at us. Gas goes up 50 cents. We are like, oh, they, they, get them out, get them out, get them out of office. But this video isn't the gallons. So you're talking about. Ten bucks, a ten dollar yeah. jack up in a in a fill up of your tank, yeah. right? And in the nineties, yeah, yeah. Um, but when it was leaked, he didn't back away from it. He defended it and said he could use it to raise billions to fix the infrastructure of America, but it would have clearly been devastating for the poor and middle class. Uh, he was against gun control. He wanted to end the outsourcing of jobs, and he was uh, a protectionist on trade. He predicted NAFTA would lead to a huge increase in illegal immigration and send factories and jobs to Mexico. Hmm. Well. His favorite saying was, and that huge sucking sound you hear will be the sounds of jobs going to Mexico. That huge what? Sucking sound you hear. That huge sucking that sound? That huge sucking sound you hear will be the sound of jobs going to Mexico. Dude, when he first said that, don't you think Clinton was just like, uh, oh, I didn't, oh. not me. Oh, wow. Uh, not me. I thought you were talking about something else there for a minute, sir. He channeled all the economic resentment in the country with his opposition to free trade. Ross also said he would demand U.S. allies pay more for defense. Again, I mean, again, I mean, obviously, we're correlating that to uh, no, yeah, nothing. Can't just say, can't just say that. (laughs) Like, how do we believe that? Like, honestly, of all of all the crazy shit. When he when he kept saying that Mexico will pay for it, yeah, and he, it was just like when a comedian riffs and he's just he, you know steal like if it's like if a comic like riffed and stole another comedian's joke because it was perfect in their riff and they're like oops one time I stole a comedian's joke and then they just put it in their act and then were uh, didn't understand why people were pissed yeah like when Trump was talking about Mexico Vicente Fox was like we're not going to pay for it yeah yeah and he was still like they'll pay for it trust me just got ten feet higher. It's just like, what? No, there's no way. Um, A lot of his proposals, however, were just very, very vague. Somehow Ross started pulling almost even with Bush and Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted Bush. They must have been freaking out. They wanted Bush out after 12 years of economics, and Clinton was just seen as slimy. They really wanted anything else. On May 25th, 1992, he was featured on the cover of Time with the title Waiting for Perot, an allusion to Samuel Beckett's play Waiting for Godot. Cable TV loved Ross Perot, and he was often on talk shows like Larry King Live. Oh, boy. He was the straight-shooting little guy. He also didn't mind working outside the usual political box to get his message across. He started buying 30 minutes of time on oh, Nature that's Networks. that's right. That's right. Right? 
Right, yeah, he would like, yeah. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Which is basically infomercial type campaign advertising. Right. And he'd have like graphs and boards. He should have just written a sitcom called Waiting for Perot. <laughs> yeah. We can't. Why not? Because we're waiting for Perot. Put a laugh track in there. Yeah. We'll fix it in post. He pulled in more viewers. Oh, boy. Than a lot of sitcoms. One Friday night slot brought in 10.5 million viewers. Oh, my God. Wow. Those days are gone. He used charts and other props and was very entertaining. Ah. In one show, he used what he called... Also, Stockdale Tonight after that was pretty entertaining. (laughs) Sorry, what the hell is this? Who am I? (laughs) In one show, he used what he called, quote, a voodoo stick as a pointer. Oh boy! It had a it had horse hair at one end. What? That he, and it's he said it had been sent to him by a quote great young lady in Louisiana. In his thick Texas accent, he said, "quote It's appropriate because, as you know, we are in deep voodoo." What? Oh, voodoo economics? Yeah, is that what he's talking about? Yeah. Okay. This is a dig at Reaganomics, which was called voodoo economics. Right. Right. The program was titled. Deep Voodoo, Chicken Feathers, what? and the American sorry, Dream. Sorry, sorry, This was... Okay, even though I was alive for this shit, Friday night, Ross Perot had thirty minute, a 30-minute show called what? Deep Voodoo, Chicken Feathers, and the American Dream. What? It was he... Did anyone talk to him? Was anyone available to talk? I don't think you could. Wow. The press saw Perot as a total lunatic. Well... But Ross used the public's dislike for the media to deflect criticism. All right, Dave. What? All right. <laughs> he knew how to be self-depreciating, which was part of his charm, and something he probably learned as a salesman. He adopted the Patsy Klein tune, Crazy, as his campaign song. Oh, my God. What? <laughs> what? I mean... Ugh, that's the craziest thing I've heard since the Chicken Bone title. <laughs> what? So he he's like, and that is why jobs will be stirring in America, and we will fix the economy, and we will fix our infrastructure. God bless you. God bless the United States. Crazy, <laughs> crazy for feeling. <laughs> what? You'd be there like, uh, I mean, I liked what he said, but he played crazy, so no. Oh, it's so great. Pro went after Congress, which obviously voters do not like Congress. He denounced Congress for its inaction in a uh, speech at the National Press Club in March 1992. Quote, The city has become a town filled with sound bites, shell games, handlers, media stuntmen who posture, create images, talk, shoot off Roman candles, but don't ever accomplish anything. We need deeds, not words. How can you criticize sound bites mid-soundbite? It's... Well, oh. What he just said is like a soundbite. Yeah, a absolute soundbite. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> At one point in June, you Ro- can put a diaper on a monkey, but don't mean he ain't gonna piss on you. That's exactly the kind of stuff he would say. <laughs> At one point in June, Ross led the polls. Oh my! What I mean? Thirty-nine percent. This is the cr- versus thirty-one percent for Bush and twenty-five percent oh for Clinton. God, what? It just if if we hadn't. It's almost, Had this election recently, this would be even crazier. It's almost like we could have seen something coming. 
By mid-July, the Washington Post reported that Ross's campaign managers were becoming increasingly delusioned by his unwillingness to follow their advice. Okay. They wanted him to be more specific on issues. Sure. Ross but that doesn't play with the voters. But Ross needed to be in full control of the operation and did things like forcing volunteers to sign loyalty oaths. Oh, my God. So he's a Scientology <laughs> extension? While his campaign managers could barely get him to All read... All you gotta do is clean this boat for a billion years and then you're in the cabinet. You're in the cabinet. Here's your toothbrush. His campaign managers could barely get him to read one-page summaries of issues. Oh, boy, Does it sound Dave, like anybody? I, please... <laughs> Do you want a scotch? When he was questioned on foreign policy, he would give brief and often contradictory answers. Uh, what? The campaign would later try to explain it away as meaning something else. At least so, those times are over. Yeah, those are past. Now, the LA riots... You can get a fire hose and get the hobos out of the cart, but they'll just jump to another train! Is that about... You're talking about Iran? Sure! Okay. Or whatever! Or whatever. Well, yeah! Is Look, that if your... you raise the bar high enough, somebody's gonna be low enough to limbo! Okay. Look, you can take the shell off a tortoise. Don't make it a frog, buddy! Uh, wait. Look, you can do as many jumping jacks upside down as you need to, but it's still just a headstand. No... Okay. Look, you can Wait. kickbox all you want, but you're still just using your feet. Your hands are sore. I don't even remember what my question was, uh, sir. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter how much soda you drink, you ain't gonna become a pony. This ain't a waterfall. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Sign I, this I, oath. I, I've actually got enough. Thank Sign you. this oath. Go, here you go. Sign this. Now, the LA riots had occurred earlier in the year, which made race a big issue in the campaign. Right. Ross went to give a speech to the NAACP and addressed them as, quote, No, no, Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave. Okay. Here's something you don't want. You never want this sentence, uh -huh. the start of it, associated with your name. Uh -huh. Because if it's being brought up what you called them, mm -hmm. it means you didn't do it right. He addressed them as, quote, you people. Uh, he emphasized crime as a top national issue and spoke of it solely as drug-driven inner-city problems. Oh, boy. He then called for a paramilitary operation to rid a black Dallas neighborhood of no. guns and drugs. No, where did he think? Was he, did he have... <laughs> Did it's someone an pay, NAACP Did somebody speech. a different venue on his islands? <laughs> I'm going to say you didn't have a lot of experience Perot, with black people. Perot, yeah. <laughs> oh. you didn't. And his final crime plan was a three strikes law and keeping criminals in prison until they knew how to read. What the fuck? <laughs> what? Even in a world of... I mean, it feels like a lot of his rules are mad lips. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what? Now, he didn't seem to stoke the embers of racism on purpose, and he came across more as naive, right, than just being a straight-up racist asshole. Right. And next to Pat Buchanan, he looked like a choir boy. That's why Buchanan's always done um, racist songs. Yeah, he's the philosophical ancestor to Trump. Yeah. 
And Clinton had what was known as his Sister Soldier moment at the time when he compared author and hip-hop artist Sister Soldier to a white supremacist. <laughs> How do I not remember that? I mean, that checks a lot of boxes. Oh, the fucking what? 90s, man. Coming off the NAACP speech, he decided to air his opinions on gays. Oh, boy. When asked if he would allow gay people in the military, he said no. Okay. He then said they wouldn't be allowed to be in his cabinet either. Okay. Ross justified it, quote, I don't want anybody there who will be a point of controversy for the American people. It will distract from the work that needs to be done. God. Ross's support collapsed to 20%. Oh, boy. After that? After all that stuff, the NACP, uh, the, the, okay, the, yeah, I mean, I mean after he started releasing the hits. <laughs> Clinton shot up to 42%. Bush stayed at 30 Campaign manager Ed Rollins quit his campaign on July 15th. The next day, Ross Pro announced on Larry King Live that he would not seek the presidency. Okay. Wow. <clears throat> I don't remember that. Either. You don't remember that? No, I don't remember talking about it. When pushed on it a few days later. I inhaled, Dave. Yeah. When pushed on it a few days later. Pro said that Republican operatives had wanted to reveal compromising photographs of his daughter. Hmm. Uh, she was sorry. about to get married, and he said that that would Let really ruin the wedding. The guard dog chased him off? Uh, probably. Many thought Pro was obsessed with his own image and lost interest when he faced tons of critical news reports and was no longer the outside darling, so he quit and made up the story. Boy. Now his reputation was badly damaged. His supporters felt betrayed, and public opinion polls suddenly showed a lot of people didn't like Ross, which had uh, never, even though his support dropped 20%, people still liked him, but now right. they did not like him. Right, okay. Then in September, Pro suddenly qualified for all 50, all 50 state ballots. All the petitions came in and worked, and now he's on all 50 state ballots. Okay. So on October 1st, he suddenly Wait, announced... what? Is that right? <laughs> Dude, he farved it? Farted. No one knows what that means. He farted. <laughs> On October 1st, he suddenly announced he was back in the presidential what? race. That is... I do not... I was going to say, I remember... I, okay. Okay, keep going. Okay. So he was out from July 15th until October 1st. What a run. What? But this was just one month before voting. Oh, my God. Just before the debates in October, he only now had uh, 7 to 9% in nationwide polls, but there were three debates starting on October 8th. Okay. In the first debate, Ross kicked off his opening statements by responding to the others who were talking about his lack of experience. Quote, They got a point. I don't have experience in running up a $4 trillion debt. Uh. The audience laughed and ate it up. Oh, good. He continued, quote, I've got a lot of experience in not taking 10 years to solve a 10-minute problem. If it's time for action, I think I have the experience that counts. Ross said he was leading a movement from the people. Many of his answers weren't specific, but he talked about stuff most wouldn't go near. Quote, Keep in mind our Constitution predates the Industrial Revolution. Our founders did not know about electricity, the train, telephones, radio, television, automobiles, airplanes, rockets, nuclear weapons, satellites, or space exploration. There's a lot they didn't know about. It would be interesting to see what kind of document they draft today. Just keep it in frozen and time won't hack it. 
<laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Right. So yeah, here's the, the thing. He's fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, like, what's his face? The fucking who was the old white guy that ran in the libertarian? Uh, oh, Nader. No. Oh. Old white guy. He ran like the past two years. Uh, his, his son's a Kentucky senator now. Ah, oh, fuck. Why am I asking you? Is, wait. Who? What? Yeah. Seriously. Paul? Yeah. Ram, uh, Paul. Ram, uh, What's his dad's name? Uh, Old Man Paul? Old Man Paul is what we call him. Um, Bat shit crazy, but every once in a while says something and you go, fuck yeah, you nailed it. fuck is his name? Let's, let's go with Rand's dad. Okay, Rand's dad. Uh, and people are screaming right now. Screaming. Screaming. They're I got to know. I got to know. Screaming. Now I don't want to say it because I just want people to lose their minds. <laughs> you love that you... I kind of do. Really um, makes you happy. But he, but he would say batshit crazy shit, and then he would say something super spot on, and you'd be like, "Oh, I mean, you get right." Me that's that true. So that's what he's doing yeah. here. Like the Constitution does need to be redone. To what is it? You want to know? Yeah, I thought you wanted people to go crazy. Oh, okay, I'll move on. Move on. What is it? You didn't. You said you didn't care. Okay, everyone, Ron, Ron. <laughs> Everyone pretty much agreed uh, he won the debate. Okay. Wow. During the second debate, he made his case against NAFTA. We have got to stop sending jobs overseas. It's pretty simple. If you're paying 12, 13, 14 an hour for factory workers, and you can move your factory south of the border, pay a dollar an hour for labor, there will be a giant sucking sound going south. When Mexico's job. What are you talking about? (laughs) When Mexico's job. Jobs come up from a dollar an hour to six dollars an hour, and ours go down to six dollars an hour, and then it's leveled again. But in the meantime, you wreck the country with these kind of deals. Oh, if only that had been true. Uh, um, yeah. So he said shit that was spot on, right? And again, it, it, it really is crazy when when you live, uh, like when you live with in the time frame of some of these things happening. Yeah. Just think to how simple it is when it's just all words coming out of people's mouths and it doesn't see, and, and then the ripple effect that what these fucking things do from yeah. from so many things. The prison industrial complex yeah. being one where you're just like, what the fuck? Again, he did well in the debate. But that was kind of it. In the I final, need another phone book to stand out! In the final five weeks of the campaign, he rarely left Dallas, doing so just for a few rallies. But did he win Dallas? Oh, I don't know. Well... In the election, Ross Perot received 18.9% of the popular vote. This was almost 20 million votes, though he got no electoral college votes. He was the most successful third-party presidential candidate in terms of the popular vote than Theodore Roosevelt in the 1912 election. Clinton won with 43% to Bush's 37 He did manage to finish second in Maine and Utah, but that was the best he did in any state. So where did his votes... I've always said second's the number one. Second's the way you want to do it. So where did his votes come from? 20% of his votes came from the left, 27% from conservatives, and 53% from moderates. 57% of pro-voters were middle class, and the rest were from the upper class. Okay. Like Trump. He did not... They were pro-choice. He (laughs) He did not swing the vote. According to Exit polls, Ross drew his vote equally from Bush and Clinton supporters, 38% each, but a 
pro-myth developed, which said that he <clears throat> had, uh, had he not run in the election, Bush would have won. There's actual evidence that Pro helped split the anti-Bush vote and helped Clinton uh, and cut into Clinton's base. So there was an anti-Bush vote, right? right? That was, the Pro myth actually came from anger towards Bush from the right. Pappy Cannon had riled up nativists and nationalists, which Bush had not done. So the right, yeah, the native, the white supremacy guys were angry at Bush for not. In the end, despite you know, his... it's it, it's hard to talk about him favorably at a time like now, Dave. <laughs> In the end, despite his scandals, Clinton was uh, charismatic, and voters took a second look at he him. Played the sax on Arsenio. Yeah, you know, like that. Bush never led Clinton at any point in the race, but Ross Perot wasn't done. Based on his percentage of the popular vote, he was entitled to receive federal election funding for 1996. Oh God. Ross tried to keep his movement alive, continuing to speak about the national debt whenever he could. He campaigned against NAFTA and even debated NAFTA with Vice President Al Gore on Larry King Live. <laughs> but this time, his behavior during the de debate was mocked, including his repeated pleas to, quote, let me finish. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Can I finish? Let me finish. In a I need to drive. finish. Yeah, he seemed angry. Let me finish. Now, come on. I'm not being allowed to finish. <laughs> this is really taking me back. The debate was the end of his political career. After support for I'm finished. After support for NAFTA went from thirty four percent to fifty seven percent. Wow. So he 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 made so he made people he, like NAFTA, uh, and he said, "Wow." That was his whole. But he would not give up. In 1995, he founded the Reform Party and won their presidential nomination for the 1996 election. He was now soundly being mocked. The Philadelphia Inquirer called him Spacey. The Richmond Times-Dispatch said he was running a gong show. Oh, boy. The LA Times ran a pew poll in which voters offered words that came to mind upon hearing his name. Rich, crazy, idiot, egotistical, nuts, Money and arrogant. Oh, boy. And the Weekly Standard ran the cover line, Is He Nuts? He was now no longer cute. He'd become angry. Okay. An L.A. Times political writer said, quote, He's jumping down people's throats. He's got a very short fuse. People think of him as a willful eccentric whose stability is questionable. Okay. That's pretty... Huh? Uh, what? Well, that's indicting. He, uh, he had never stopped talking about, quote, dirty tricks of his political opponents since he quit the race in the last election. Sure. He then told the Washington, uh, the Washington Post that one of the two main parties had tried to recruit him to finance a million-dollar dirty tricks campaign in the 1994 elections. Oh, this is, are we talking about a guard dog? But he refused to provide any evidence of the allegations. So we're talking guard dog. He repeated the charge on Meet the Press, oh, suggesting okay. it was all the Republicans. But again, he would not provide any specifics. Uh -huh. Quote, I'm going to wait to the right time and nail that one. I'll probably save it. I'll probably save that one until fall. Oh, God, what? He's, what, he's got sweeps? <laughs> what? He never gave it up. Ross also, also complained publicly about ads Republicans were running in California that did not exist. <laughs> well, I mean... Okay, so we're we're getting into a new area, uh, public. <laughs> he was also he was always dis discussed 
He always discussed the time the guard dog had driven off assassins oh, from his boy. property in 1970 and that the FBI had warned him, which the FBI continued to say was never a thing. Sure. Anyway, this time he received 8% of the popular vote, much less than in 1992. Okay. It was worse, but still a very successful third-party showing by sure. U.S. standards. Late in the 1990s, Reform Party members accused Ross of not allowing the party to develop into a real national political party, saying he instead used it as a way to promote himself. He apparently had installed his own operatives from his campaigns into party offices. <laughs> Ross then did not endorse Jesse Ventura's Reform Party run for governor in Minnesota in 1998. I'm still offended by that. Instead... Ross made fun of Ventura at a conference after Ventura had argued with the press. Boy, that is not... Uh, you do not want to make fun of Jesse Ventura if you're 5'6 on a good height day. During the 2000 presidential election... Oh, boy. Ross did not get involved as a reform party as the reform party splintered into groups. Donald Trump briefly flirted with running for president as the reform party candidate. That was when... Is that when Buchanan was running? No, I mean, we can't uh, always run, but that's that's Bush and, uh, that and one? Gore. Right, uh, right, okay. yeah. right, right, right. And uh, Nader, yeah. Donald Trump briefly flirted running a president. Ross was not happy as the party disintegrated. And now he was portrayed in the press uh, as crazy, so he stayed quiet. He then went on Larry King four days before the election and endorsed George W. Bush. Wow. After that, he was quiet on political issues and refused to answer to the, the media's questions. When interviewed, he stuck to talking about his business career but, and refused to answer any questions about politics, candidates, or past activities. Though in 2008 and 2012, he made endorsements. In 2008, he publicly came out against John McCain and endorsed Mitt Rodney. Okay. He also announced that he would soon be launching a new website with updated economic graphs and charts. Oh, God. In, in June 2008, the blog launched. It was focused on entitlements, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the thing he made all his money off of, the national debt, and related issues. In 2012, he endorsed Romney for president again. Pro did not give any endorsements in 2016. Still around, he did huh? recently come out. Because he had a book coming about his life, and he said that our national debt was so high that we were open to invasion. That the that the book about his life that's if it ain't Perot, don't fix it. I think so. Right. <laughs> Today, uh, he has an estimated worth of three point nine billion dollars. What is he doing? He was ranked by Forbes Can as the one hundred and forty second richest person in the United States in two thousand sixteen. Pretty good. I mean, what are we? We're like 160? Me and you? Yeah. We're about 160. When we pull it, we put it together. pull the stuff together in the hotel bed like we do? When we just put all the money in there? Yeah. Like I we think, do? yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, that's about right. Um, God damn. So do you see any, there, it feels like there were signs there. Of what? Of just other things that might happen. Like what? Like people being upset at the. Like who? Parties that exist. And uh, uh, this is this is when saying crazy things actually eliminated you. But at some point, people just didn't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. Well, it is a very difficult time to feel like um, 
you know, like any good is coming out of the crazy shit that's being said when you can't condemn like the bar is so low to condemn um, you know what just happened in uh, Charlottesville Nazis? Yeah, I mean it's just like so easy to do and so telling that it can't, that this dude can't fucking say it I mean it's like so we, we, I mean obviously people know our leanings and stuff but just straight out um, if you if you can't condemn Nazis, you're a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. A lot of people died fighting Nazis. A lot of fucking people died fighting Nazis. Nazis are super bad. They want genocide. They're terrible fucking people. If you can't condemn that, go fuck yourself. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there.